Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Father, we just release the word of God unto you, Lord God. We ask, O Lord God, that you would anoint his lips. We ask, O Lord God, that you would fill him with your word of truth, Lord God, and that he will speak it boldly and with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, PK. How many love our pastors in the house? Come on. We are blessed. We are truly blessed. I've been a part of a lot of ministries, and these are selfless men, so I honor them. Thank you, uh, Pastor George, if you're watching online, for letting me speak to your your sheep and your people, and uh, may the Lord bless it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's jump into it. So I'm excited to bring the word today. It's probably not going to be a uh, normal, not, I don't know, normal Enrique message of like shouting and excitement. It's more of a teaching. I'm going to put my harvest hat on today. Is that all right? It's a very big hat. <laughs> it's more like a sombrero hat. I don't, I don't know if I could wear it, <laughs> but I'm going to try my best um, because I believe that right now we needed the word of the Lord to bring understanding to his people. So today's message is titled, People of Understanding. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would anoint my words, and even in my weakness, that your strength would be made perfect. I ask, Lord God, that you would remove even my my own self and Holy Spirit, you would speak as we listen. May the Spirit and the Bride say, come, Lord. May you who speak have say, come, and may us have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and speaking in this hour. God, we ask for hearts of urgency. We ask that you would wake us up from our slumber. We ask that you would wake up your bride, your sleeping church. We ask, Lord God, that the Holy Spirit would begin to speak what's on his heart and not on the hearts of any other speaker in this nation. That we would be undistracted, Lord. That we would hear the, the word of the Lord for this hour, Lord. We want the Ramah word of God. We want the hour word of the Lord. Would you speak it to us, Lord? And would you give us ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. So I'm excited. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm actually a very, uh, I think I'm a, a nice piece of the puzzle here in this church because I function and flow on last minute. <laughs> So PG asked me a couple days ago, and that's how I flow anyways. Like, he knows, like, if he would have asked me three months ago or three days ago, there's no difference <laughs> because that's how, how I'm functioning and how I, I'm wired um, and how I preach and how I teach. And I just, that's just kind of how I, the Lord has always worked with me. So um, obviously when he asked me, I said, what's on my heart? I mean, Israel's on my heart. Um, how could it not be? Um, and I believe that anybody that's part of the bride needs to have Israel on their heart in this hour. So we're going to take today and talk about having a heart for Israel. Is that okay, church? Now, I believe part of the reason why some people in the church don't have a heart for Israel is not that, you know, you're bad or wrong. I think it's a lack of knowledge. And so the Bible says, my people perish from lack of knowledge. So when knowledge comes and understanding comes, the heart grows. So I believe as, as we begin to preach it and sow the seeds, right, we, we can't expect fruit for something that's not sowed. So I want to sow this morning Israel in your hearts and believe that the Lord would bring the fruit of what? What, is the, what are we asking for? I'm asking God that give, he would give us the fruit of intercession. 
the fruit of prayer, the fruit of burden, carrying his heart, the fruit of wanting to walk out um, the, what the Bible says toward Israel, which just so you know, your role in that is to provoke Israel to jealousy. How do you do that? By being selfless in your love. By being someone that would be willing to lay down their life for Israel. Right? For a people that you have no part of. For a people that you have no reason to. I believe God's going to raise up people that are going to be willing to lay down their life for Israel. And it's going to provoke God's people to jealousy. And when they wake up and the blindness is removed, Jesus is coming. That, this is literally the storyline. We are working ourselves to provoke Israel to jealousy. And once the blindness is removed, they will walk in their, their divine mandated uh, um, purpose. Which is, just so you know, and if you've ever heard the 144,000, right? So we think it's only set aside for, you know, the, um, uh, uh, you know, the, what is the word I'm looking for? The, what's the religion that, the 144, Jehovah Witness. I always mess it up. I don't know. Maybe I have so many Jehovah Witness funny stories that, you know, should I tell you some of them? No, I'm just <laughs> We all have Jehovah. I love Jehovah Witness when they come to my house. I don't know if they have like a map, but they're like, don't go to that house anymore because I haven't seen them in years. Because the last couple times they came, I'm like, awesome, let's open up your Bible. <laughs> and they're like, no, you don't want to use their Bible? No, no, let's use yours. That's fine. It's right in your Bible. The people will see God. Well, we can't see God. Well, why does your Bible say it? Right there in Revelation 22. Oh, wow, I've never seen that before. <laughs> Check yourself. <laughs> I love using their Bible because their Bible is all messed up, by the way. It's got a bunch of stuff in it that's not supposed to be in it, but there's a lot of stuff that's in it that they don't even realize there's in it. <laughs> Side note. But just so you know, what will happen in the end times is 144,000 Jewish male virgins. Okay, I hope we're not going to lose some of you young folks today. Is that all right? Young people, stay with me, all right? Yeah. <laughs> 144,000 male Jewish virgin men is going to lead the, the coming of Jesus. It's in your Bible, Revelation chapter 7. We're going to see 144,000 Jews. Now, and that is only a little picture of the full nation. But there's going to be 144,000 leader men, Jewish men, who have a revelation and love for Jesus that is going to help welcome Jesus back to the earth. And they're going to be part of the end times. They're going to be part of the leadership. They're going to be part of, uh, of the prayer, the, the, the harp and bowl, releasing incense for Jesus to return to the earth. So just an idea of what's going to happen when we pray for Israel, there is going to be a movement of Jewish Lovers of Jesus that are going to preach and teach and heal the sick, and we're going to follow their leadership. That's actually going to happen. Not only the men, but of course the women as well. There is going to be men and women that come out of Israel that are going to lead us to the coming of Jesus. Will you humble yourself and follow that leadership? You know we're grafted into the tree, right? We're not the tree. So if you've ever been to a church or sat in a teaching where you've heard that, it, that we, have, we, the church, have replaced Israel, I want to remove that theology right now because it is a lie. It is nowhere in the Bible, and it's actually crazy to me that anybody that actually reads this thing could believe that. 
even as a young Christian, I remember reading my Bible and, and hearing this idea and being like, does anybody read this when somebody talks about that? <laughs> like, it's that, like, do they, or do you just sit there and just kind of nod your head and go, okay, that makes sense. Do you actually read your Bible? Because <laughs> it's nowhere in here. And not only is it nowhere in here, there's the opposite everywhere, that he will never forsake his people. We have not replaced Israel. We have been welcomed into the family of Israel. We have been grafted into the tree. Anybody do gardening here? No would graft? Nope. She said nope. Yeah, she got a black thumb over here. <laughs> That's my wife too. She'd be killing anything with life in the backyard. <laughs> Poor thing. Every time she buys a lime tree, I come home, I'm like, may the Lord be with you. Like, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. There's a lime tree in the back right now that's dead. I just, I don't want to throw it away. I feel bad. I don't know if they'll have resurrection power upon it and it might come back to life or something because it's definitely dead and I still leave it there. Still got the tag from, you know, Home Depot hanging on it. <laughs> if you know anything about gardening though, you'll know that when you're grafted into the tree, you take on the DNA of the tree. You don't overtake the tree. You take on the tree. We are Gentile people, unless you're, you know, Jewish background or Israel uh, background in here today. Holla at my people, right? But us Gentiles have been grafted into the tree. So now we take part of all of the promises. That's how it works. Every promises in the Old Testament, we can say yes and amen and say that's for me because we've been grafted into the tree of Israel. What is Israel? What is, it's a family. And it's the cousins, uncles, brothers, grandchildren of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm trying to make things simple right now for everyone. You understand, it's a family. It's a family that God said, every other family rebelled against me. And the Bible says he looked down from heaven and he almost repented or didn't want, like wish that he didn't create man because he, he was almost like, there is no man that seeks me. He calls Noah, destroys the earth through a flood, calls the family Noah. From Noah's lineage comes forth Abraham. And God says, instead of what I did before, before the flood, now I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to pick one family of all the families to show myself faithful and true because everyone else is rebelling against me. It's not God's fault. Man, in their own heart and in the depth of their sin, have chosen right to rebel against God since the fall. And because of that, all the families of the earth rebelled pre-flood. Flood comes. Now all the earth are going to, he knows it's going to happen again. So instead of just trying to reach everyone like he did pre-flood, he said, I'm going to reach one family, the family of Abraham. And after that, I'm going to be faithful and true to them. So all the other families of the nations of the earth can look at that family and find me faithful. It's a family. It's the family of God. And we were grafted into that family when we said yes to Jesus. Now the Bible says there is no Jew or Gentile in Christ. Because we are in Christ. We are now redeemed. We could have been redeemed pre-flood. That all could have happened. Potentially, God, we knew, God knew it was not going to happen. But potentially the people of the earth could have turned back to God. They did for times and then fall away, return, fall away, return, fall away. And so God... Knowing pre-fall, pre pre-creation, he formed, the Bible says, before the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain. 
The plan was already set and forth. And I'm saying all that, all this for a reason. We're going to dive into the Bible here in a second. I just want to paint the picture of the Bible for you, church. What is the story about? This is my introduction. What is the story about? The story is about a family, a people, returning back to how it was in the garden. In the garden when we walk with God. That's what the story is all about. It's to get back to the garden. It's to get back to walking with God in the cool of the day as our friend. That's what the story is all about. So God is calling a people, and he's going to re redeem this people group. They, all Israel shall be saved. That's not an opinion. That's the Bible. They shall be saved. Now, today I'm going to talk, I might mention at points, the difference between Israel the people and Israel the state. The state of Israel is going to make mistakes. The state of Israel is going to murder people. Okay? The state of Israel is going to fall short. The state of Israel is not going to walk in the redeemed path that, that God has called them every single moment of the day. No, that may be true, but so, the same is true for you. In the same way that you have fallen short of the glory of God, Israel falls short of the glory of God. So we cannot hold them to a standard that God doesn't hold you to. In the same way that God forgives you 70 times 7, he forgives Israel 70 times 7. And though they're going to make mistakes before the coming of Jesus, they will eventually receive the redeemed promise and come back to God. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Well, let's jump into it a little bit. I want to continue my introduction a little bit <laughs> with Matthew 24, just because I have to. I just have to. Matthew 24. Because I honestly just, I just want you church to, to, to care. I want, you to, I want us all to care. I want us to ask God questions. For example, in Matthew 24, verse 3. And bear with me with the verses, because I'm going to probably go through a lot here, and, and I always mess them up and throw them crazy verses, and then don't even use some of them, and then add new ones. So have some, some mercy this morning for the uh, media team back there. Uh, open up your Bibles, Matthew 24, verse 3. We all know it. I'm going to read it quickly. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And here's what I want you to see, is they asked. They came to Jesus and asked, are you asking? Are you curious? Are you wondering or are you still planning your life, your day-to-day -day life, for so many years without even asking about his return? Not even wondering what the, what the Bible says about the coming of Jesus. Not even curious of what the storyline, how it's playing out. Now, have you, have you even asked? Have you even wondered? Are you, do you have any curiosity what the storyline is going to look like? I mean, if I did a poll in the Western church about what the Bible teaches and what the end of the story looks like, it would be very sad how many people know more about grace and forgiveness than they do where they spend eternity. Most people think they're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's actually not true. They're going to spend eternity on earth. Heaven will come to earth. We don't even know the basic things of scripture. Where's the devil? In hell. No, he's not. He's in heaven. <laughs> uh, did you know that? If you go to hell and you I'm going to go party with the devil in hell, he's actually not there. It's a deception. The Bible says he would be removed from the heavenlies. Michael, the, the archangel, will cast him out of heaven at the beginning of the end times. And he'll come down to earth for three and a half years. He, there's, a, there's a slow process for the devil, that dragon, the deceiver, Satan, Lucifer. He was in the highest of highest, 
highest points with God Almighty as a cherubim. He was cast out of the mountain of God, but he wasn't cast into hell. He was cast down from the third heaven. I believe he's somewhere in the second heaven, which is the heavenly realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, which I knew I was going to say that verse today because I want to remind you when we pray for Israel and we pray against certain things that other religions like Palestinians are, when we're praying, we don't wrestle against flesh. We wrestle against, wrestle against heavenly powers and principalities that re rule the heavens. The Bible calls Satan the God of, the, of this age, the prince of the ruler of the air. Not of beneath. Devil's under my feet. Yeah, in, in the spirit, but in, in the heavens, he's above you. <laughs> he will be under your feet. He'll be cast into an eternal fire. He'll be cast into the, to the, to the pit, right, for what, during the millennial kingdom. He'll be cast into the great lake of fire. Absolutely. There's a slow descension of Satan from the highest points to the heavenlies. And then there's going to come a day, it's found in Revelation, where it says there was no more time found in heaven for the dragon any longer. And he was cast out, that deceiver of old, dr the dragon, Satan, and he was cast to the earth. That is the beginning of the three and a half years of great tribulation. So he's cast from heaven to the earth. Simple things like this, normal church Folk don't, don't even know the heavenly realm. They don't know eternity. They don't know Jesus is coming back to actually reign and rule. And I believe a lot of that, and why am I saying all that? False because we don't read the Old Testament. All we read is, you know, your, your, your New Testament, your letters of Paul, the Gospels, and we've lost a full picture of the Old Testament, which is what Israel understands. Israel understands the, the prophets, the Torah, they understand what, what's going to look like when they, ha when they have a, a Jewish king ruling from Jerusalem. Where Christian Western folks don't understand that concept. So we don't, we don't busy ourselves in a good way to understand what it looks like for a Jewish king named Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach, to rule from a real place, a geographical location in Jerusalem. That is actually going to happen. And it's a very important topic for you to wonder about and ask about, kind of like the disciples are doing with Jesus. We don't even ask. They said, Lord, tell us, when will these things be and what would be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Verse 4, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceive you. No, 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 Lord, I didn't ask about deception or knowing stuff. I don't, it's not about knowledge. Lord, we just want to know when you're coming. Tell us this, the timing. The, what time, God? Take heed. No one deceive you. He's saying that because he's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you the time. I have my reasoning of why I believe that because I believe that the Bible is also clear that the time depends on us. <laughs> the Bible says we can hasten, which means quicken, the coming of Jesus in Second Peter. By being pure and spotless bride, we can quicken his coming. So maybe he's waiting for you. Maybe he's waiting for the church. Side note. <laughs> but if you look at that, his answer to us to not be deceived is his response of their question of when he's coming. Deception is reigning all over the body of Christ at this time. And deception, again, back to that point, is a lack of knowledge. One of them is that, that we'll, we'll be taken away early in the rapture prior to the coming. So we, why, why study it? Because we're not even going to be here. False. Again, we can do this another time. I don't want to get into a bait with anybody, but 
I have the microphone, you don't? <laughs> I mean, if you want to actually look at it, Matthew 24, verse 29, I might as well go hard with it. It just says it pretty clear. I just like to read my Bible. I don't know. I, I read my Bible. Amen. Matthew, Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and you will see a great, a great sound of a trumpet that he'll gather all the elect. That's the, that's the rapture and it clearly says in verse 29, it's after the tribulation. That, I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible it says before. You can't, if you actually do the uh, hexacon, you know, Greek translation of the word after, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Harvest, is after mean after? It means after? Okay, cool. I thought maybe it could have meant before, but maybe I'm just not a theologian. So I just read my Bible like a normal person. And it says immediately after the tribulation, Jesus will come. Just, you, again, there's other verses that say other things, but they don't talk about the coming as clear as that. One verse is all I need. We'll move on. With that said, Jesus is highlighting the people to, to be weary of deception. Say deception. So now if you start to believe that you'll actually be here, now you might care a little bit and you might start asking questions like, what are the signs? I'm glad you asked. The signs is deception. What's the next one? For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and would deceive many. Right? False Christ, another sign. You hear of wars and rumors of wars. Anybody hearing that today? You'll see that they're not troubled. And if you want to call me, you know, an end time person and, and blah, 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 conspiracy theorist, God bless you. You can find another church. <laughs> Forgive me, PG. PG's watching. No, don't find another church. Stay here and ask God. How about that? I correct myself. But I'm not ashamed of the Bible. And I'm not afraid of people calling me names or marking me with certain things because we bring up end times because there's a war going on. Yeah, well, what about the wars from before? I don't know, but I'm living today and there's a war, so I'm telling you be, be weary of wars. It's a sign of the times. See that you are not troubled. And this is my goal, right? My goal here, I know I'm having a little bit of fun right now, but my goal is, is, is I don't want you, church, like I actually care, and I believe the Holy Spirit, I believe God cares for you and doesn't want you troubled when these things start to magnify because again, for lack of understanding, you could have fear. But with understanding, there's peace. There's so much peace when you see it coming. Oh yeah, seen that before. You ever watched a movie before and it's got all those jump scares? <laughs> and my kids call them jump scares. You know, it's like, oh, something's about to happen there and it's a jump scare. But once you watch the movie, like you can watch it again and there's absolutely no emotion as much, right? Because you've already seen the movie. The movie is right here written out before us and we can't even, we've never even watched the full picture. We cut it short all the time. We always end the movie early. Usually around the middle, which is obviously an amazing part, which is Jesus going to the cross. That's an amazing part of the movie. But he's not going to the cross to stay on the cross. He's coming back again and he's not coming back as that broken man on the cross. He's coming back as the redeemed king of israel he has the words king of kings and lord of lords on his thigh he has a sword in his mouth he has eyes of fire and his robe is dipped in blood is that the jesus you know there will be death be not troubled be not troubled well i don't understand how that stuff works. have you read the bible 
Just read. It's all there. It's the beginning of sorrows, guys. We're living in the beginning of sorrows. Pregnant women, you remember what those feelings were like when the baby's starting to come? Right? You feel that, ooh, that, ooh, oh, what was that? Oh, maybe I just ate something bad. And then, you know, another 30 minutes later, an hour later, oh, what is that? Something's coming. <laughs> once that, and once that begins, for those of you who have had children, you can't stop it, right? <laughs> Could you just decide to slow it down? You know what? Me and my husband, you know, we got a three, actually, it's kind of funny, my first child, Mariah, we had, we had, we had plans. We had lunch plans. We were going to go have subs in Winter Park and like sit down in the grass. We had a beautiful day planned. And we're like, no, baby, we have, a, we have a day plan. Can you hold off a little bit? It's called the birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows. What is started in the nations of the earth, you can't slow down. It's coming. You're either going to get your oil and fill your lamp, or you're going to be found with no oil. Preach. It's one or the other. And the oil was to Christians. Because you have a light. You have a lamp. You're either going to run out of oil because all your amazing encounters with God and all those moments you love from maybe 15, 20 years ago when you're in youth group or maybe when you went to your first church or maybe you used to be in that Bible study and you got tons of stories but you haven't had any good emotional connection with God in the last 5, 10 years, your oil's running dry. You need to find oil now again. Fresh oil from God, not from 10, 15 years ago, church. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Not from a year ago, for some, from some of you that just got saved. You need new oil. You need new, what does that oil look like? For me, it's when I cry. <laughs> I need to cry again. I was like, it's been a couple weeks, Lord. Like, I feel like, I'm, where's my heart at? Like, like, my heart is so dry. I haven't cried in three weeks. You know, I know I'm different. Some of you guys like probably don't cry. Uh, Harvest is like, Holy Spirit's all over him. He's like, so I get it. Like we all have different ways of connecting with God. And if you've ever heard my testimony, um, it's actually powerful. Like I was not a, I never cried ever growing up and I was very hard and I had a hardened heart and I was a fighter and I was a bully and I was a very angry young man. And when I got saved on the altar and I was on the floor, the day I gave my life to Jesus, when I hit the floor and I gave my life to Jesus, a young man came on me, put his hand on me and he said, thank you Lord for a softened heart. Yes. Ever since that day, I haven't stopped crying. <laughs> So God, is, God likes to joke, you know, and mess around and turn what was dark and he just takes off the callus and now I weep in like, you know, every Disney movie there is, you know, and like, it's pretty bad. I weep in commercials sometimes. I, I just fast. It can be like a 30 second commercial and I just feel the tear. I'm like, what is wrong with me, God? It's so embarrassing. All right, let's keep going a little bit. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse one through five. Chris, can you read that for me? But concerning the... The times and the, and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Can you say amen to that? Amen. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, which means what? That we could understand and see the coming of Jesus, and we could see it coming. If you're at home, let's just take that verse for a minute, thief in the night, and you turn off all your lights, 
and the thief in the night comes and it's the middle of the night, it's going to be hard to see him, right? It's hard to see that thief in the night when all the lights are off and it's nighttime. But we are not of the night. We are of the day. So now you're sitting on your front yard. You got your shotgun in your hand. <laughs> Come on, some of y'all country folk in here. It's all right. I love y'all. I want to hang out with you guys. Shoot some paint cans in the backyard. Like, you know, check out the chickens in the, in the coop. Like, let's do it. If it's daytime and the thief is coming, you're going to see him, right? You're going to understand it, right? Jesus says, and Paul says, we're sons of the day. We are meant to see it clearly. It is so clear when that guy's coming. He's got his mask on. He jumps the fence. I'm like, are you serious, bro? Like, really? This is what you're going to do. It's obvious to us. If it's not obvious what's taking place in the world today, you're sleeping. It is obvious. It is so obvious. It's like, what is the, you turn on the news, what is the nation on the news that is talked about every day? The sliver of the earth. The sliver of a, of a, of a, of a hemisphere. Sliver of a geographical location. Gaza Strip, which is the size of Washington, D.C. A little city on the entire map. Do you know how big the world is? Why is that the nation? Because it is obvious. God is like, this is an example of how obvious it's going to be. And when we stand before Jesus and he, we look him in the face and we stand before him on that day and we saw all the signs and we chose to not be prepared and to not live our lives with urgency, we're going to have no excuse when we stand before him because it's obvious. We are going to see it. Now I want to talk a little bit. That's kind of like my introduction to kind of wake you up a little bit, smack you around, bah, 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 bah. spray some water you know, on your face. Now, obviously, I want to talk about Israel. Let's go to Genesis 11, verse 2 through 9, if you could read that for me as well, Chris. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for, for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confused their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Say Babel. So what we're dealing with right now, what's coming on the earth, this is the origin. The Bible shows a people group with one purpose, one mind, one voice. And, and that voice is that man would rule the earth. That man would, would come into its place and through their demonic unity, they would achieve what mankind could achieve apart from God. The earth is going to do this again. What this is leading to 
is a one-world economy, a one-world system, a one-world language, a one-world unity, demonic unity, called the harlot Babylon. And that basically is, you know, if you want to call it Illuminati or blah, 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 it doesn't matter. What it is is demonic unity. Just make it real simple for you. It is a unity of the, of the self. Because, you know, just so you know, it's always been self versus God. You guys know that, right? Right? Let's look at the garden, right? Oh, if you eat that, you could be like God. Oh, I could be like God. If I eat this, I will understand the knowledge of good and evil. Go back even further. Satan, the first moment sin was ever found in the Bible, in my opinion, is when the Bible says that in, in his heart, he found himself to be like God. And immediately he was cast out a mountain from God. Sin was found in his heart. What is the sin of Satan? The Lu Lucifer? It was the sin of self. I could be like the Most High. Then Adam and Eve, I could be like God when I eat this fruit and understand knowledge of good and evil. And then mankind is going to come together at the end of the age to say, I could take on God. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. Man versus God is the climax of all of this. And just so you know, the reason why it's man versus God is because man, apart from the redeemed version of God, being with God. You know why? Because Satan has deceived man, and sin in itself is selfless. And every time he sees man from the image of God, he burns in anger toward mankind. So he has deceived mankind to gather together against God. And the Bible says they'll shake their fist at God, and they'll gather together at the battle of Armageddon against the Lamb. To battle against God. They're, they're crazy. Man, lost their mind. It's a very quick battle. <laughs> it's not really a battle, so to say. It's like they showed up. <laughs> Just kind of make things easy for, for God in a way. Just kind of come over here, guys. Oh, in this general area right there. That'll work. Thank you. We'll go ahead and take care of this. I'm being funny. I get it. But it's reality. It's really what's going to happen. So that actually or origin comes from the Tower of Babel. So when you hear the word Babel... Just think, remember, Babylon, well, we know that term, right? Babylon is what also came in and obviously was an enemy of the Jews, right? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. They destroyed Israel. There's going to be a Babylon, Babylonian city redone again in the end, end, of the end, end of the age, okay? And we know that from this next verse, which is Revelation 17, verse 3. Go ahead. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So Babylon is a city, it is a people, and it will be remade and it will be actually a great city during the end times. Do you know where that city is located? In Turkey. Right there in the center of the Middle East. It's been owned by Turkey and Iran and it's actually... Mostly, it's very hard to visit. You can barely even visit the city because it's in the middle of like a very dangerous Middle Eastern protection. So there's a spirit that comes from the Tower of Babel that's been throughout history that will end at the end of the age and it's all connected in a way. 
And that's why I wanted to highlight a little bit of, of this morning the, uh, the Palestinian conversation. Okay? So if we could put up that picture that I have uh, from you guys back there, I, I want to talk about this a little bit. I know it's a little bit hard to see. Um, but if you look here where Judah is, you see Judah on the map? Okay? Which is right off the sea toward the bottom there? Okay? So if you read the Bible, the Bible is clear on territories, and the Bible says that this great sea, the Mediterranean Sea, will be the border, okay? That is the border. Now, right in the middle of that Judah, that is where the Gaza Strip is. What you see on your news every single day, where you see the majority of all war is taking place between Israel and Palestine is at the Gaza Strip, and guess which tribe is has been given the land of the Gaza Strip. Guess which tribe? Judah. Which tribe does Jesus come from? He is the lamb of the tribe of? You think it's coincidence that the very pinnacle of all hatred and war is taking place in the very land that is occupied by the tribe that comes to Jesus' lineage? Maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe I'm, I'm crazy. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I don't know. Just so you know what Gaza Strip is, imagine the busiest uh, New York City suburbs with buildings and, and you know, kind of like the projects, so to say, where like tons of apartments, right, all condensed in like a small general area. That is what Gaza Strip is. And it's as far as it can be. And there's millions of people there that are all, that were all, that are all Palestinian. Okay? So they're, they're, they're surrounded by... A border made by Israel, which is, you know, it's got fencing, it's got, you know, drones probably, it's got obviously people guarding it with guns and missiles, and it is the, the focus of the Israeli army is that strip and that borderline on the land of Judah because they believe by through that door that's their biggest threat. And it's a very bad storyline. I'm getting off here for a minute, but I just want to kind of like talk about this for a moment so you guys kind of understand what's happening because I know here in Western world, kind of wake up and go get our, you know, our, our nails done and have lunch and, you know, <laughs> go have a good br brunch on Saturday morning. And we kind of forget what in the world is happening in the world. So I'm not trying to be mean, but a little bit I am I'm trying to wake myself up. Trust me. I like nice things myself. But it's like, this is what's happening in our world today. And there's a lot of families and children and that are living in the Gaza Strip that have terrible, uh, their, their life is terrible because they cannot leave for, they can't do the, the jobs, like there's no jobs there, they can't cross the Strip, they can't go anywhere else, like they're stuck in that little condensed area. It's a terrible life for them. But the reality is, if you could put that map back up, that land has been given to Israel. I want to be very clear this morning because church, I do not want you to give in to some of this ideology that's out there right now talking about just give up the land. You're either back with God or you're back with whatever else is out there. And God promised that land to them in here in scripture. And you actually will see it here. Let me, let me show you where it's at real quick. It is actually duh, 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 duh. Numbers 3350 is one part of it. I'm going to read it real quick. Actually, let's start at Genesis 12. My, my apology. I don't want to skip this verse. Genesis 12, verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
The, then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. Say Canaan. Canaan. So they came through the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land in the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of, the, of Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your descendants I will give this land. Say this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There was Ai back in the day, too. It's a joke. Man, you guys missed that one. He built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going still toward the south. And then, so you see that picture there. If you actually look at the map, that is the land of Canaan. And in the land of Canaan, there was two main people that lived there. It was, the, it was the Canaanites, obviously, and the Philistines. Anybody ever heard of the name the Philistines before? <laughs> Do you know that they're part of this story? Think about for a second how many stories we have on the Philistines. Think about how far back, remember David walking up to the army? Guess where that was? The same area. Same area where the wars are taking place right now is exactly where this was. The land of Canaan is also known as the West Bank. The West Bank, if you've heard that term before, that's actually people that don't believe is Israel's land. They call it the West Bank. That's how you know they're, they're, they're pro-Palestine, usually. It's the land of Canaan. It's literally Israel's land. They own it. They were giving that land. So the biggest war points right now that's currently happening, guys, is the West Bank and Gaza Strip. Both of those lands were given to the people of Israel and given to Abram. Look at Numbers 3350. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan to the land of Canaan, this is very important, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. God gave Israel clear instruction about this land. Destroy all of their engraved stones, destroy all of their images, demolish all the high places, and you shall possess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it. For I have given you this land to possess, and you shall divide the land by a lot as an inheritance among your families. Remember Judah? Right? It divide the land amongst your families. It was 12 tribes. Judah was one of them. To the larger you shall give the larger, to the smaller you shall give the smaller, then everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls by lot. You shall inherit, you shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers, but if you not, it, here's the warning now, I want you to see this. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be an ir irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Fast forward thousands of years, or hundreds, I don't know, I'm not good with the numbers. <laughs> don't quote me on that part. Thousands, maybe, yeah, possibly, yeah, I guess, yeah, thousands. Fast forward from that day to today, and this scripture has been continually being fulfilled. Philistine, which the word comes from Syria, Palestinia, that's how the word uh, Palestine comes, dates back to the Philistines. 
So the same war that Israel was fighting with David, the same war that Samson was fighting with a jawbone, that Samson was taken into captive and destroyed him as his last resort when his hair grew back, that same war is happening today. So no, I do not stand with Palestine. Not sure if you've seen that statement all across America happening, and you're going to see more people say they stand with Palestine. I stand with Israel. Amen? And I don't stand with Israel, only the government or the state of Israel and the killing of innocent people. I don't agree with that. But I do agree with them um, um, defending their land. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, don't quote me on this next part. This is like a sub, sub, subtopic. I believe that this is the beginning of Israel taking back the Gaza Strip. I believe that this is, I hope, I, I, hope, I, I, I don't know, I might be wrong, but I don't know. If I'm gauging what's happening and I'm putting puzzle pieces together, Israel has to get that land back. And I believe that something is brewing right now and a war is going to begin and Israel is going to take back the Gaza Strip, which is rightfully theirs. I think something's happening. So a side note, just wanted to mention that. Now, in this storyline is a people group, right? I want to, now, that was a little news flash. <laughs> Let's pull out of the current culture and go back to Bible for a second. In the midst of this storyline is a people group, a family called Israel. A people group that Jesus himself was so focused on that he didn't even preach to the Gentiles. Think about that for a second. That almost sounds offensive, right? That almost sounds like, what, Jesus? Like, you only had three and a half years, Jesus. Why didn't you preach to all the people groups? If any, this is just side note. I'm, I'm in business now, so I just think of, if anybody's in business and they're some, starting something in business, where do you spend the majority of your time? With all of your employees or with your key people? With your board? With your key managers? With your key, you don't spend all your time with everyone because if you properly train, and delegate to your key people, your business will flourish. It's common knowledge. Why do we think Jesus would have did it any other way? Jesus focused in on 12. Then even out of the 12, he focused in on three. And then even out of the three, he gave the most beautiful, closest revelation of all the picture of the Gospels to his closest disciple named John, where the book of Revelation comes from. The one that leaned on Jesus' breast. The one that, that, that everyone, when they had a question, they go, John, John, ask John. Tell John to ask Jesus. Uh, Jesus, um, I'm wondering. Jesus is looking at him. You're wondering? <laughs> He's looking at all the guys behind him. You know, they're eating their food and kind of watching John ask Jesus a question. Why would Jesus trust the end time picture and the clearest picture to complete the puzzle of God's word called the book of Revelation to the one that laid on his breast. Why? Because in the midst of all this, it's all about love. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. Who would have known it's so easy? <laughs> Wait, hold on. How do we wrap all this up, Enrique? Because I'm starting to get there. I'm wrapping up here. Give me about 10 minutes. You guys okay? Yes. <laughs> 15. Yeah. <laughs> Cancel your reservation, guys. We're going. <laughs> Here's the reality of, of the Bible. Jesus, how do we wrap up everything? 
Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. First commandment, love God. Run after Jesus. Fall in love with God. Yes, New Testament. Yes, New Testament. Fall in love with Jesus. Worship. Understand how he redeemed you. He forgave you. Understand that you cannot walk out this life apart from his redemption. You are not perfect, and nor do you have to be perfect. He is perfect, and we enter by his righteousness, not our righteousness. So we are redeemed by faith. Say faith. faith. We are redeemed by faith. Yes, we have that. That is love for God. We can't get past that. That'll, that's okay. That's always going to be there. But number two is love for people. And that love for people, I believe, is going to enter a depth in the end times where we're going to begin to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. And it begins with our Jewish brothers and sisters. And you may not have to lay down your life today or tomorrow, but you can pray. You can cry out. You can care. You can ask God. You can ask, okay, God, what, do I, what am I missing here? Why is my heart dry? Why do I not care as much? I do that all the time, guys. God's a big boy. He can handle that question. I literally come to God all the time. I'm like, Lord, I know that this is important to you, but I'm going to be honest, it's not important to me. I don't, it doesn't keep me up at night. It, does not, it doesn't feel important to me. I don't feel a burden over it. I'm just honest with God. What am I missing, God? Speak to me. And then God begins to speak, and then you get your eyes opened, and then it starts to matter. It's a beautiful relationship we have. Look at Romans 9, verse 27 through 29. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Oh, Jesus, guys, the power of that statement. Unless the Lord left us a seed called Israel, in the midst of all the trees in the earth, God planted that seed, a people group, and he has been faithful. Why does it matter? Why does Israel matter? Because God, being, I've said, I said this, I think, when I prayed the other day, the last weekend. When, when you look at Israel, God's faithfulness to Israel is God's faithfulness to you. If God is not faithful to Israel, God is not faithful. And if God is not faithful, our entire Bible is a lie. I know that's pretty heavy, but we need, to, we need to have understanding of what this means. If God is faithful to Israel, and every time we see a storyline play out, and it always ends, I mean, guys, think about it for a second. Hitler, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, the world's greatest evil men have not been able to distinguish a people group. With so much power, with so much authority behind them with the nations of the earth following behind them they have not been able to distinguish a people group it's unheard of and it's going to happen again the antichrist is going to put all of his strength in destroying the people of israel now again i'm going to remind you israel is a sign of you israel is a sign of christians because right now we're seeing the whole debate happen over israel but you know what's going to happen right that debate's going to take a turn at some point, and it's going to turn from Israel to Christians. It's going to turn from Israel to Jesus. 
Because this is all a war against the Son of Man, just so you know. Read your Bible. Read the Old Testament. Start there. Say, okay, God, open up my eyes. What does the Jewish king look like? What is, what is, what is David truly standing for? What are the, the, the judges standing for? What is Samuel standing for? What is Moses trying to, trying to create a people group to do to worship God, to have a place, to erect Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords out of Jerusalem? He will come, he will rule and reign. And he will come to defend his people because his people is a representation of our people. Jew and Gentile alike. It is one people group. It is the believers in Christ Jesus. The family of the Jewish people we have been grafted into. And I believe Jesus is starting to speak that forth. And, and these things that are happening right now are going to wake up the eye, wake up the church and open the eyes of the sleeping bride. Why did God use John, the revelator, to bring the book of Revelation? It was because he was in love with Jesus. The very one describing the stories always remembered the one that he laid upon his chest. The problem we have in a lot of churches, a lot of people want to throw out end times and not talk about Israel because they watch so many news channels and TBN network shows and it's all so confusing and people do this and then they go and they say Jesus is coming back on March 2nd, 2000, whatever, and you got all this stuff, right? I get it. I get it. All right? I totally get it. But I want to just give you just a heads up this morning. The end times is about Jesus, your bridegroom coming for his bride. He's returning because he loves you. And the purpose of everything is to live in a world with Jesus as king, church. That is the purpose of everything. This, like, what, what is the gospel for? The gospel is meant to be preached to the end of the earth so that Jesus may return. Everything is unto the coming of Jesus. It's our blessed hope. It is all we strive for, all we wait for, because guess what? The government is not your answer. <laughs> Look, I don't care what side you're on. There's a bunch of madness in all sides, okay? Now, I am one. I vote for life. I am one. I stand for truth. But I promise you, I totally understand that there is absolutely no answer in government. There just isn't. Just Sorry, I know that might upset some people. I'm not even going to get into that too much. Now, I think it's sad when people are voting based on political and not based on Bible, but that's a whole other topic. We need to wake up, church, and realize what is the story all about. It's about Jesus again. It's about Jesus coming back to the earth. It's about Jesus ruling for a thousand years as king of Jerusalem. There's people in the church that don't even believe that that will actually ever happen. It's very popular. It's called amillennialism. They don't believe Jesus will actually come and rule for a thousand years. They believe the church is supposed to get really, really good and take over the earth and things are going to be really great and that's when Jesus comes. It's actually the opposite. The, worth is going to, the world is going to get darker before it gets lighter. The Bible says when transgression has reached its fullness in Daniel, when transgression has reached its fullness, when sin is as bad as it gets. You think it gets bad now, guys? Right? I know. I, I just I want to talk to the older people in here for a second. Think about when you were a kid and what you watched on TV. Think about when you were a kid and what people talked about when they came back from high school. Now my daughter's going into high school soon. Like, the, ki the things I hear, I mean, I just can't believe it. 
And I'm only 39. I can't imagine someone that's, that's, that's older, like PK in his 80s. <laughs> I love you, PK. <laughs> Back before World War I, you know. <laughs> but just, I, I mean, in all seriousness, if you think about when you were a kid and what your parents, if you were to come home and tell your parents what some of these people are doing nowadays... And the reality, the, the mind of the, it's sin. Guys, don't be, don't be surprised. <laughs> you literally just have to go, mm, he's coming. Every time I see something crazy, like I heard, a, I had a client uh, recently, someone told us, uh, I don't know if it was your story or somebody, about a client that, that their son identified as a cat, so the school let him put a litter box in the bathroom. This is real, guys. You know what my response is? Jesus is coming. <laughs> Every time I hear something crazy, my response is, Jesus is coming. I know that may sound like, okay, whatever. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. Of, it's He's coming. It's time to wake up. The reason for everything is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Sin is going to rise. And with sin rising, the hatred of man toward Jesus will rise. Understand this. This is the beginning. Israel, to us, we think of a nation, uh, you know, Israel, the nation. No, it is a sign of light. And darkness hates light. And darkness wants to destroy light. So when they see Israel, they see Jesus. They see light. They won't say it, but something in them is gathering to the battle of Armageddon. Something in them is gathering together. You're going to see darkness gather and unify like it did at the Tower of Babel. That is the heart of Babylon's spirit. It is a unification of darkness against light and against God. And Israel is a picture of that. Look at Romans 11, verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this ministry, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until, everybody say until, the fullness of the Gentiles. Oh, here we go. Now we're talking about y'all up in here, some, you know, uh, Casa, you know, Rodriguez's and Perez's and Castillo's and Gomez's. That's us. Gentiles. Till the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel, say, come on, say it with me, will be saved. And what are they saved unto? They're saved unto Jesus. They're not saved from war. They're not saved from war. We don't pray for peace in Israel only for war. We pray for peace in Israel, which is the prince of peace, Jesus. We pray for that more than anything. That's where your prayers need to be focused. Jesus, save them. Jesus, reveal yourself to them. Jesus, raise up watchmen to pray for Israel. Jesus, raise up laborers to evangelize in Israel. Jesus, appear to Israeli leaders and priests, high priests and Levites. Appear. Show them you're, you're worthy. Show them you're the Messiah. Make it so clear that they can't deny it, God. Be the Isaiah 52 lamb who was led to the slaughter. Let Israel's eyes be open. Let they see Jesus. He's the lamb. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the one led to the slaughter. He is the one that you're seeking. His name is Jesus. Yeah. 
all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He ain't coming out of Orlando. He ain't coming out of D.C. He's not coming from any of those cities, guys, just to wake you up. I mean, come on now. Let's... The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will come from Jerusalem. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will turn away all ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them. He's a covenant keeper. Come on, worship team. Come on back up. He's a covenant keeper. He will not break his covenant. He's not a man that he would lie. He will keep his covenant with them and take away their sins. Last verse, last verse. I promise I'm wrapping up. I did good on time today. God is a God of miracles. Hallelujah. Come on, Jesus. My favorite verse. My favorite verse. When it comes to Israel, I have a favorite verse. I have a lot of favorites, but this is my favorite. I get to have more than one favorite, okay? You can't decide how many favorites I get. This is my favorite. One of my favorite. Isaiah 62, verse 1. Chris, read that whole thing to verse 7 for me, bro. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as the lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, Come on. nor shall your land be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah, right? and your land Beulah for, Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons shall marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over your bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, for they shall never hold their peace day and night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest until he establishes and he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Jerusalem will be a praise in all the earth because it is a sign that God is faithful. I can't say it enough. I just, I'm going to repeat it over and over to you. So when you think of Israel, they are a sign that God is faithful. He was faithful with the Moabites. He was faithful against the Canaanites. He was faithful against the Philistines. He was faithful against Rome. He was faithful against Germany. He's faithful against Palestine and Hamas. He is faithful. And he can only be faithful. He knows no other, no other way to treat his people than faithfulness. And what's beautiful when you read a book like the book of Hosea, oh Jesus, you want to understand God? Understand how he is faithful to Israel. To a people that he says has married the harlot. To a people, and he's, it's an example of us. You're not perfect. <laughs> You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm a harlot. I've, I've fallen for other lovers. I've chased other lovers. Even when I know truth, I still fall short. 
I mean, I know you guys, some of y'all aren't perfect in here. I'm just talking. I'm the one bad guy. Forgive me. Just need to be cleansed by the blood. But even though I know truth, I mess up. Even though I know that I know truth, I've encountered God, I know the Bible is true, I still mess up. And I still fall short. Because I am weak human man. And everyone in here, there's hope for every one of you because you don't have to be perfect. Because Israel was never perfect. And even though God said she treats me like a husband and she is a harlot, she chases every other lover that's a prostitute. Literally, the Bible says in Hosea that God is like a man married to a prostitute. God is like a man married to a prostitute and he's still faithful. He's like, Hosea, you want to know what I go through? Go marry a prostitute so you can understand what it's like to be a God married to a... Now, this is just the people because remember, he's like, I can't do everybody again like that. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. But last time I did every family, right? And, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, well, actually it's pre-Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the flood happens. The people are doing horrible things as dark as it can be, right? The flood happens and he's like, all right, all right, all right, let me try this again. I'm going to pick a people. And yes, I know it's going to be like married to a harlot. They're going to cheat on me. They're going to deceive. They're going to be deceived. They're going to leave. But I am going to chase after them and I'm never going to give up on them. Because I want to show humanity that even in your darkest, darkest idolatry, adultery, and sin, that I'm still faithful when you're not faithful. When you pray for Israel, you're praying for God's people, you're praying that people would see God's faithfulness. Stand up with me as we pray this morning. I can have any crazy altar call. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask that God would give us a heart for Israel. I'm going to ask that God would do the very thing he says there in verse 7 of Isaiah 62. Put Isaiah 62 verse 7 back up. And that's kind of the, the purpose of this morning, church. That we would give God no rest. How many want to give God no rest? Come on. How many want to be a people that pray? Guys, the Bible says for Israel, he says, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. When you pray for Israel, you're stepping out of your own selfish needs, selfish desires, because we all got things we need in our life. We all got prayers that we could be praying. Why don't you go up a little bit higher for a little bit? Why don't you enter a little, a place called selflessness, intercession, and enter that place and pray for God's people. There's so many testimonies about blessing Israel that you would, we could have a whole service on stories that I've seen online, on YouTube. You, there's so many about people that have blessed a Jew or an Israelite and have received healing or miracles. I mean, guys, when you pray for Israel, you're blessing Israel. And when you bless Israel, you will be blessed. Let's give God no rest. Come on. Just begin to pray for a minute in your words to the Lord. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.